Welcome to Mutuality Matters, Gender Theology for the Gospel Empowerment of Men and Women. I am Erin Moniz, here with my co-host, Blake Dean. Hello. And we are recording from Plumwood Cottage on the beautiful campus of Berry College. So to get started, um, we like to do watch, read, or listen, where we tell you all of the interesting things that we are either watching, reading, or listening to. So Blake Dean, pick one and tell us about it. Yeah, right now I'm reading... I have a collection of Henry Nouwen's letters. Oh. So I'm just slowly working through those, and they're suited chronologically. And it's just the loveliest. Henry's my best friend that I've never met. I feel very strongly about him. And so to read his letters, to read his work is already a peek into his life, into his heart, and into his ministry. But to read his letters, I think, is something more special, inspires me to be a better friend and coworker and follower of Jesus. I love that. What about you? That's great. Um, I actually just today, I finished Brenda Salter McNeil's Roadmap to Reconciliation. And it's a short book. It's small. I recommend it to everyone. Brenda is a a fantastic author. And um, she her her whole work is around helping communities walk through very pragmatic steps towards reconciliation. And, um, and so it's a very practical book. It like, it like follows the, the sort of way a community would, would work from severe divisions within race and sort of work themselves towards a reconciliatory process. And it, and it's, and it's great too, because it's for like churches or schools or just any community. She, she uses a lot of anecdotes from her work, um, football teams or, you know, just various people. So I love that because in our, um, Christianity and Social Justice Bible Study, we're going to be talking at some point about how practically to do this, and she is going to be a major resource for that. So I highly recommend Road to Reconciliation, Brenda Salter-McNeil. So, and speaking of, I mean, we both shared books, so like, <laughs> it's it's a true segue into today's, um, into today's segment. And we wanted to take it, the opportunity um, during the early podcasts that we are doing to talk about the books and resources that have had such an influence on us already um, leading up to our, our thoughts about gender theology. And we hope to continue to feature books and, and even authors on this podcast, but we want to give a nod. We want to give a nod to sort of the, the anthology of books that have been out, some of them for a long time, um, but have been particularly helpful to us. So, so Blake, why don't you start us off? What's, what's the first one? Sure. One of the first books, I'm going to work fairly chronologically in the books that have been formative and impactful for me. Um, one of the first books that I read that was deeply, deeply impactful for me was um, Paul, Women, and Wives by Craig Keener. Uh, he addresses some of the major um, passages in Paul that talk about either man and woman in marriage or man and woman in um, ministerial contexts or church contexts or social contexts. And he, um, it was one of the first times that I had engaged someone's exegesis that I found to not be um, anemic. There's a, <laughs> you laugh. Um, so there's so many people that are so passionate about like gender justice and have a bend towards equality, but I would read these books and either scripture wouldn't be addressed hardly at all, or when it was, it felt like we were missing gaping holes. So he, his work was the first one that um, offered another way, offered a way to read scripture 
um, in its whole context and in a uh, context that does lean towards mutuality, does lean towards the empowerment of women um, without sacrificing the power and authority of scripture, but instead arguing from it and saying that these things are already here. And those were some inclinations I already had. I read this when I was probably a freshman in college. It was some inclinations I already had. I already was going, oh, but mutual submission is here. What about Galatians 3.28 and the ministry of Jesus? I had these inclinations, but the work that I was reading um, before Craig Keener just were not providing what I thought were sufficient um, intellectually sound exegesis. So he addresses Ephesians 5. He addresses 1 Timothy 2 in ways, um, and I, have not, I haven't read it in a few years, but in ways that at the time were really formative for me at least in looking at the passages within a historical context um, and how do we apply them now. I found it to be compelling. Yeah, I, I love how, I know for, for both of us, we, we sort of absorbed these observations that we were seeing. It's like you start from sort of a social context, but then when you get a hold of these authors who can really connect both intellectually and you know, there's a cerebral sort of transition when you sort of look around and say, okay, this doesn't look right. This doesn't seem to, to be working out, but I, I see the scripture and, and people like, like Craig Keener piecing that together and making it um, concrete so that it's not just us going, well, we should, we should be acting differently, but without much else to go on. Yeah. So um, what about you? What's your pick? Okay. So my first one is actually five. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, but but here's my reason because Carolyn Custis James. I will say okay, yes, you roll your eyes. Carolyn Custis James. She is my gateway drug. She's my gateway drug to gender theology and it started and I was trying to think about this today because I I can't remember who it was that first recommended to me her Lost Women of the Bible book. I do know that this is long before I ever considered ordination. I was not at all thinking about going back to seminary. I we were living in Nashville. I was um, at a construction business, and I helped out with a group of middle school girls at our church. And this was fine, and I was just sort of happy and living under the radar in that way. And we decided to use this book because it takes different women in scripture, and it's it's readable, accessible. It's got like you know questions at the end, and her introduction and the first chapter, which was on Eve, just. I was done. That was I I I'd never seen this before and it's it's anecdotal. She shares about her life, but then she has this incredibly accessible scholarly journey where I first came across the word azer. Mm. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is I've been reading this wrong this whole time." So, Lost Women in the Bible, I I I did that with middle school girls. Highly recommend that. And after that, I just had to get a hold of whatever I could. And she's got these these five books um, that I love, Gospel of Ruth. Gospel of Ruth is absolutely fantastic. I did that as a Bible study with another friend. Um, and then Half the Church, which this is like this is one of those books that brings up what what for me is often a point I return to over and over, which is if we are kingdom people, if we are in, endeavoring to bring the gospel to as many people as possible, why are we benching half the team? And I know there's all sorts of presuppositions that could be refuted, which it's a very sort of trite and reductionist statement. So I, I don't, I don't say that to unpack it, but half the church does in a really powerful way. It's the um, first book that you recommended to me. Oh, was it? When we sat down for the first time and I said, 
hello, female member of the clergy. Where do I begin? You said, this book is really important. And I kept it for eight months. And then I remember being on a plane, reading it and reading these. It's based, it's um, a spinoff of the Nicholas Kristof book, Half the Sky. Yes. And so it's taking these narratives of the plight of women globally, but in Carolyn, because in James's work, right, placing it within an ecclesial context, yeah. um, and within a Christian context, and it's it was really compelling and powerful. I thought so. Oh, gosh. I love, I love that, that book because it always reminds me of you. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I if if you ever spend any amount of time with me, you're going to read Carolyn Cusses James because Carolyn Cusses James. If you're out there, I'm your publicist. You're not paying me. You don't even know me, but I am literally just just giving away um, your stuff to and putting it in the hands of as many people as possible. Um, the one that everyone, everyone, everyone should read, no matter who you are or where you stand on stuff, is When Life and Beliefs Collide, mm-hmm. because it's a book that you think is going to be about gender theology, but it's actually about suffering. Mm-hmm. Rick Warren endorses this book, and he's like, everyone should read this because it it dives deep and it takes this idea of women in the church and goes directly into the heart of suffering. And basically the premise is women should never stop learning theology. They should never stop growing in their faith. They should never be afraid or back off or water down because women uniquely experience suffering in all kinds of ways globally, uh, miscarriages and, and deaths and family and like all all of these ways. And if they don't know God, and if they don't know the love of God and the kindness of God, they're going to be crushed yeah. underneath this. And that and it's just, it's a great you know tale for us all. It's a great story for us all. So when life and beliefs collide is high high up there. And then she came out with the maelstrom, which. which you know I love Maelstrom. <laughs> it's it's so good because I I tend to stay away from books that are written about the opposite gender. So it's like a book about manhood written by a female. I would take issue if the opposite were happening, right? If it was a book about femininity written by a man, I'd look at that and go, mm, really? You know what's going on? Um, but I do recommend this because... She and her husband contributed to this book in a way that I think is really compelling. My husband has read it, uh, and it's it talks about how patriarchy is is damaging for men, um, and it does it beautifully. Now, she recently came out with another book that I haven't read yet that is in addition to the Gospel of Ruth, and she's talking about Ruth some more, so I have to get into that. But my number one, so those five, the anthology, if you will, of Carolyn Custis James. That's my one. I love that. It's so you to go ahead and break the rule on your first try. <laughs> on my first try. I will, I will abide after this, I promise. So, okay, but back, bouncing, bouncing it back to you. Sure. So my next pick um, goes a little bit off the exegesis trail. We're going to come back to it in my third pick. But my next pick is called The Hidden History of Women's Ordination um, by Gary Macy. This was recommended to me by... Um, a professor of mine. And there was a couple reasons why this book was important to me. Um, Number one, I think the reason we're having this conversation is because we don't live in a vacuum. We don't think in a vacuum. We don't believe in a vacuum. Um, We think and believe and are in discourse, especially in our faith in an ancient way, right? So I, and I also had some deep fears within myself as I began to ask questions and be more passionate about gender justice, I was going, am I just jumping on a cultural bandwagon? I was so scared. Um, And some of this maybe is implicitly from things that I had been told 
previously growing up, but I was so scared that I was just importing a social movement in an inappropriate way into my faith. I was really nervous about that with myself. Um, and I've since come to the conclusion that while I can do that, um, that's not the core of this, this book was really helpful for me in going, no, the communion of saints has been asking this question for a while and also participating in this for a while. He um, makes a couple different arguments about um, the historical state of women's ordination, what counts as ordination, what has counted as ordination historically in the ways that we've split hairs there. But the main thrust of the book is if, for me, was connecting with the historic church, connecting with this history of believers, and being comforted in the fact that this didn't just come out of um, the suffrage movement in the 1900s, right? This has been a question and wrestling and with different answers, depending on tradition and historical moments. Um, But it was really, really helpful and powerful for me in locating my questions and my conversation within the historical conversation of the church. Oh, absolutely. Like I I was just reviewing um, a discussion in my own denomination that, that there's this this idea that women's ordination is a is a new phenomenon, is a recent phenomenon, something that that came on the heels of the modern feminist movements, and I think it's so valuable when we look back historically and have you know some good um, scholarship that goes with that. So um, love that. Okay, my next one is just one, <laughs> I promise, <laughs> but um, it's Jesus Feminist from Sarah Bessie. So uh, this book. Uh, I'll, just for her, just for her chapter on women's ministries in the church alone, like I, I resonate with that I love so it. much because when she's talking about how like all of her ministry experiences were like related around like crafts or like a fashion show, and it's true because I'm like, I'm coming out of this theologically vapid experience where I am surrounded by these women, and I. The most I can tell you coming out of women's ministry is 50 different ways to turn an oversized pine cone into a centerpiece. Like, it's just, it's, it's what are we doing? So her, her chapter on that, I just absolutely love. She's funny. She's witty. She's insightful. And she wrote Jesus Feminist to be both provocative and accessible. Um, and I remember when my, my mom was first making inquiries about gender theology, this was the book I handed to her because even though the title can be kind of shocking um, coming out of the the conservative and traditional backgrounds, she she loves Anne of Green Gables. Mm-hmm. You know, she she's a mother. She uses all this mother imagery. She's and because she's a blogger and not like a theologian or somebody like uh, Carolyn Custis James, what you get is sort of a bridge, sort of an introduction. It's a, it's a little bit softer of approach, but does not lack substance. Yeah. And that's so so for people who are kind of like, uh, you know, about sure. all of these topics, I say read Jesus Feminist. And that's that's a great place to start. Um, just to, it's it's a it's a good warm up. It has so much. I found for me, Jesus feminist, um, again, and she's very forward in the book. She's like, I'm not here to make a scholarly argument. I'm not trying to make a scholarly argument. I found what that book did for me. I read it a couple years ago, which just gave me permission to ask some of the questions that I already had. Right. Um, and I think that's something that she does really really well in that book. Um, and it definitely is a starting place. You definitely have to move. It will not encapsulate all the answers to all of your questions, right? Um, but it is, I think, a great place to begin, especially if this is a foreign topic and conversation. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay, back to you, Blake Dean. We're going to put this in our show notes because it might be a little difficult to find. But it's um, Tish Harrison Warren and her husband, Jonathan Warren, on the Seminary Dropout podcast did an hour and a half long segment on how, um, on their journey of transitioning from a more complementarian camp to a more egalitarian camp. Um, And I found it to be um, accessible, but also rich, also humbling. Um, They are both so filled with humility. My favorite thing that stuck with me is Tish on that podcast saying, this is a topic that I think we can only ever be 80% sure about. Right. And I find that I found that to be so freeing, right? It's like, oh man, there's, there's room for error in this. There's room for humility and for um, surrendering to the work of the spirit and the person of Jesus. So I found they walk through their, some of their exegetical journey. They walk through some of their um, historical journey and now they're both priests in the Anglican church. So, and it was just a really, really interesting story. I found a lot of solidarity in it, but I also found it to be um, another really good place just to um, begin, but also as someone who's maybe um, been wrestling with this for a while, also just a nice breath of fresh air. Yeah. Oh, yes. I, I completely agree. And um, and they both are, are really wonderful priests and, and scholars, and they just recently added to their family, just had their third baby. So, yes. Tish and Jonathan, congratulations. We hope you're recovering well. Many, many congratulations. Um, but yes, go check out that podcast. Podcast And everything that we are talking about, we'll put in the show notes. It's going to be a loaded show notes. But Bailey, our fantastic producer, she's on it. Um, so we have all these things for you. Uh, if you want to check them out, we recommend you do. Um, What's your next pick? So we, we already referenced it a little bit. So uh, Half the Sky. So this is not a theological book. So Nicholas Kristoff and Cheryl um, Wudun are journalists, and they've written a number of fantastic books together. But this is in my top five Wreck Your World mm. books. Like if you're if you are just ready to have your entire worldview flipped upside down and wrecked in a way that you can never escape, um, read this book. So there is a, a Maoist proverb that says women hold up half the sky. And that's the the impetus for the title of the book. And it just goes through chapter by chapter examining the global plight of women. It talks about rape and sex trafficking and abuse and access to financial resources and like just and it just goes from country to country and the the journalism is just so good and is so compelling and it will absolutely break your heart and inform you in wonderful ways. And again, you mentioned it was off of that that Carolyn Cusses James wrote Half the Church um, based off Half the Sky. And so so while, again, it's, it's not a religious book by any means. They come, they come from a very secular mindset. But if you, you really want to see why we need to talk about these topics, why this is, is a global concern for Christians, I can think of no better recommendation. And I find, I'm so glad you said that, I find it to be, we live in a cultural moment where um, secular feminism and the women's movement often gets a celebrity face, right? And it's about what's happening in e-news. Um, and that's not all bad. I think those conversations are helpful because they elevate certain things. But what I think Half the Sky does really, really well is it reminds us, number one, of our own privilege, 
um, male or female sitting in the West. And number two, again, like you said, why these things matter. And I think for believers to have stories and names or um, images, um, even in word form, is so powerful and informative and shapes the questions that we ask um, and makes us, I think, a bit careful um, in the way that we ask questions, in the way that we, um, or even the things that we imply. But again, just makes us reckon as we explore these conversations, as we continue, makes us reckon with our own privilege, sitting across a table from you in a lovely home, getting to talk about things that we're passionate about for 30 minutes. Yes, yes. And it, I would I will also say this, I didn't include this, but the theological counterpart to this is Elaine Storkey's Scars Across Humanity. And it, it's it's very similar. And if, if, you, if you do those together, just give yourself a little breathing room, maybe watch some Disney movies or something in between, just, you know, go get some cotton candy or whatever you need to do. They're both really heavy, but they're, they're good counterparts. All right, Blake Dean. My next pick is no surprise. <laughs> I know where this is going. It's a more recent find of mine, mm. but I've described this pick as the book that I have been waiting for. Um, instead of accumulating all of the things, it is faithful to Scripture, upholds the authority of Scripture, while at the same time giving voice to the global concerns of women. I am just amazed. And it's Paul and Gender by Cynthia Westfall. What a surprise. Friends, dear listeners... Westfall is to Blake what is his Carolyn Custis James. That's Can we get bobbleheads? <laughs> we should. We so should. I I just find I started reading this book on the recommendation of a friend of mine. Yeah. And she is a Pauline scholar and deals with Pauline texts and the troubling Pauline texts, but she does so in the context of the entire Pauline canon. Mm. So none of it is done. We're not just dealing with Ephesians 5, right? We're doing, okay, how do we understand Ephesians 5 in light of the rest of the book of Ephesians, as well as the other writings of Paul, right? right. Um, she does. She opens her book with um, an understanding of head coverings that just at the same time is so mind-blowing as well as one of those moments that you go, oh, if, yes, that's totally a live possibility, right? Um, and the thing that I love that she does, and this is why this is one of my highest recommended books, is very rarely does she say, therefore, this is how we should understand this text, mm. right? Instead, she says, we have just as much reason, after making her argument, we have just as much reason to under understand our text this way as we do in a traditional way. Yeah. Why then do we choose to do the traditional way, right? So she so she's never saying you're welcome. I'm giving you an answer, yeah. right? She's simply doing theology and saying we have just as much reason to believe to read it this way as we do this way. And this is just as consistent if not more so than the former. Um and I find that to be a compelling not only rhetorical strategy but a really humble um, gospel center approach to this whole conversation. She's really formed me in that way um, to instead of saying, well, this is what we should do, um, offer con number one, contextual things. Like how does this fit in our gospel vision, but also offering reasons enough to maybe um, change our questions and our conversations. I love Cynthia Westfall. 
I think her book has been really formational and foundational for me. Um, and I'm such a big fan. Oh, gosh. The biggest. Like, dear listeners, if you hang with us for multiple podcasts, you will hear the names Cynthia Westfall and Carolyn Custis James a lot. It's going to happen. It should be a drinking game. It really should for our If you're podcast. over age. Yes, yes. If you're if you're a discerning listener. Um, but I, I have a confession, Blake Dean. I haven't read it. It's okay. I know. I know. The darts are coming. It's on my shelf. It's on the list. I did. I did get to see her unexpectedly. I was at the the Christians for Biblical Equality conference uh, this past summer, and she was there. And I wasn't expecting to see her. And I geeked out for you. I'm so mad about it. And then I bought her book. But um, but I uh, know I haven't I haven't read it yet. But I will say as my next plug. Um, that I do want to mention in here that Christians for Biblical Equality, while it is not a book in and of itself, um, so many of the authors I've found, and I could probably the largest resource I've used on this topic, bar none, is the um, the resources put out by Christians for Biblical Equality. CBE International is just a, a wonderful group of people who love Jesus, who take the Bible extremely seriously, mm-hmm. who come from multiple denominations, and they have a blog, they have a magazine, they have an academic journal, they have a bookstore, and they do conferences. And I've been to a couple of these, and I get, I subscribe to all of their things, and they are just a fantastic resource. Mm-hmm. So, so friends, I, I mean, I can't, I can't recommend them more highly. So you can go on their website and just type in certain passages of scripture, certain ideas, and it will take you to scholarly articles from really, really, really smart people who have tackled these things. And so it's, it's a great one-stop shop for all the different variations. Yeah. What's your last pick? So I, I'm, I'm squeezing in two, two little guys. Because Again, breaking the rules, yes. but it's okay. <laughs> yes, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind of going off. I can't help it that I just have a lot of these. Um, so when I was in my discernment process, I read um, A Case for Female Deacons by Yamin Hubner, and he, um, it's just simple and straightforward and valuable, and I recommend it to those who, A, don't know about the diaconate in high church traditions, um, like Anglicanism, Um but it's it's very well done. And then an equally kind of small and wonderful book is Dorothy Sayers' Are Women Humans? I love it. Oh, gosh. It's, again, just in her own beautifully straightforward way. If you appreciate rhetoric, Dorothy Sayers is, is just wonderful. And this was one of those... Um, this is just one of those moments where you just get this tiny little book and you read it and you're just like, wow. This is so much packed into mm-hmm. so little space. So, so Dorothy Sayers is just one of those, those grandmothers of the church that, that I highly recommend. I love it. Well, I, as we were prepping to do this, and we made a um, list of people that have been so positively forming for us. Right. We never want um, to barrage certain voices or to exclude them from the conversation either. Um, so I want to have just a very brief conversation about the voices that maybe have shaped and formed our views, um, not negatively, but clarifying our questions. Um, I know for me, um, John Piper and Wayne Grudem, I grew up in, um, a world that was pretty saturated with their work um, and really well distributed. And there's a lot of things I actually really respect about both of them. 
in both of their voices. Their author- their reverence for scripture, I think, is to be commended really, really highly. Yes. Um, but in engaging with their work, they clarified a lot of my questions um, about the role of Christ in um, as the example for women, about uh, masculinity and femininity and how this works globally, not just in a Western context. Um, so I actually am extremely grateful for their voices, um, simply because they've spent time to elucidate um, a position that maybe I haven't landed with, but has clarified my questions in some really helpful ways. Um, so I actually would really love to thank them and to credit them for a lot of my um, perspectives. Yeah. And, and Blake Dean, I love your graciousness because I'm not, not when it, like, I, I just, I, you have, have yes, I, I look at you, I'm like, yes, that is so beautifully stated. And I love that. Um, but uh, I, I, <laughs> I will, love you. <laughs> but I am, I am a lot less gracious just uh, by nature. Um, but I will, I will add to that, that group for, cause yes, Piper and, and Grudem, but I will add Kevin DeYoung and Mark Driscoll yes. to to that list as well. Um, someone I love uh, just really listened very intently to Mark Driscoll, and so I listened to about three years' worth of his sermons. Um, and I, we bring these guys up, again, yeah, like, like Blake said, not to disparage them in any way, but to, to say that a lot of times we don't start – so many of us, and, and I think this points out what's going on in the church and, and sort of mainline um, and free church traditions uh, at the high institutional level, we're not, we're having to seek out a lot of these sources. I didn't grow up reading any of the books that I mentioned to you. I found them when when pushed towards these compelling questions. And part of the reason I was pushed towards these compelling questions is because I was surrounded by hierarchicalists, you know, these these ideas that made it seem like like God might not love his daughters as much mm-hmm. as he loves his sons. And for a lot of us, and for a lot of the, the young ladies I talked to here at the college, um, we don't say this out loud, but we do we do got get a sense and this was this was a real a reality for me um going through my own journey but we know it's going to be really hard to follow and love a god that we think is sexist mm. and it's going to be really hard to love and follow a god that we think might think of us as a second class citizen or might think of us as less than and i'm not saying that every complementarian promotes that message i, I don't want to paint everyone with the same brush that's not true yeah yeah but um but these latent messages that, that come when we are saturated with this one-sided theology and we don't even really know there's another side or we think that other side is some sort of extreme post-Christian you know, feminism um, that, that doesn't identify with us on so many other levels of our faith. And so we just, we just look at that and I, I just mm-hmm. would say, I just don't have much in common with that group. But if that's my only other option, yeah. then I guess... I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure where I fit. Um, and so yeah. the, the, the sources that we've recommended to you today are, are great, but they're not nearly as distributed or prolific yeah. in our churches that I would like them to be. And the, the John Pipers, the Wayne Grudems, that group are much more well-known, <laughs> are yeah. much more recognized. And, and that's the part where I just kind of want to say to any church leaders or anybody who might be listening to this podcast that has any access to a church library or 
you know, if you have a place where you're giving out books to people or recommending things to people to try to vary it. Um, I have, I have an annotated bibliography that I want to add to our podcast website, um, that I, I created when I lecture in the women's studies department here. Um, and it includes a ton of resources, many that we've mentioned tonight, but also several that come from the biblical manhood and womanhood, um, camp and there's Grudem stuff on there and there's Piper stuff on there. Um, so it's sort of a exhaustive list if you're looking at, um, writers that cover a spectrum on gender theology. And I'd like to put that in for, for our readers, for you to be able to find on our podcast website, because um, I would like to create a larger library of gender theology, one that we did not grow up having access to, what so many do not grow up having access and a to. Cult- and a way to explore. I think, and this might be a bit off topic, but I find like growing up the greatest... The greatest empowerment I ever received was my mom looking at me saying, it's okay to ask your questions, mm. right? Yes. When I had, whether it had been explicitly told to me or I had just implicitly understood it, that there were certain questions I wasn't allowed to ask, Yeah. right? Um, and how much more so for women asking these questions than me asking these questions, right? But I had a lot of questions. I grew up with a lot of single women around me. And my big question was, if you're not married and there's this hierarchy, where does that leave you? Exactly. Um, And these were a lot of my questions. And a lot of my questions had to do with Christ was, is Christ the example for women or is he just the example for men? And then by proxy for women, a lot of my questions were that complicated, even in like high school. Um, But I felt really um, unable to explore those things. Um, And, the Lord has really been kind in allowing me to explore those things and ask questions and um, to do so prayerfully rather than with a iron fist, but I understand the iron fist some days. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just creating a, a culture of exploration as well and knowing yeah. that we can ask our questions to our God who is big enough to handle them um, and in creating a larger library and creating um, a larger list of things. It's not to silo our perspectives. It's not to, we're only going to read people that agree with us. Right. right. Um, I think the, the reason that we bring up the other people is because we don't want to just read people that agree with us. We don't want to just listen to people that agree with us. Um, and actually there are things that I learn, um, every time that I pick up resources from people that disagree with me. And when I am having a conversation about say a specific biblical passage, uh, maybe I'm using some Westfall. Um, I have to answer to the questions I know that um, Piper or Crudum or those people would ask me to be a fair conversation partner. I have to answer those questions because they're fair questions, right? Right. And so um, I think it only makes us better theologians and better thinkers and better um, faithful members of the body of Christ. Um, however, <laughs> however. I will say, I know it's very ominous. I will say, I also want to be a voice that can encourage um, charitable participation across the board. Um, And knowing that I think something that I'm very conscious of being um, a man in this conversation is that no matter where I land on women's ordination, it truly doesn't affect me, right? Mm -hmm. I can still go be ordained and do that. 
um, the while patriarchy does affect men, as Maelstrom by Carolyn Custis James so beautifully lays out, absolutely, um, it does not affect me to the extent that it affects um, my sisters. Mm-hmm. So to be careful, even in the ways that I talk about it, um, and then I would invite everyone, especially our, my brothers, to be careful in the way we discuss it, even if we disagree. Yeah. To talk about it in a way that reflects the heart of the gospel, complementarian or egalitarian, that reflects the heart of the gospel rather than weaponizing a culture war that is just going to damage and further marginalize people. There are things that we disagree on, but there are things that we agree on. Yeah. We agree that the global violence against women is is unacceptable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We agree that rape and sexual assault and domestic violence are completely outside of the bounds of gospel Absolutely. love and relationship. Yeah. Um, we agree that caring for widows and orphans is important. Yeah. And we know that globally, most of impoverished people are women and yeah. suffer more um, intersections of poverty and oppression. So we agree on all these things. Yes. So how do we take that into consideration as we move forward as a church with our expanded libraries, with our culture of exploration, and with a charitable dialogue? We do that prayerfully and at the feet of Jesus, knowing that he is our example for how to do this even with those that we disagree with. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we um, are trying to do and will do quite poorly. <laughs> I'm sure I will listen to this podcast in like a year and go, oh my, oh my gosh, why did why I say that? <laughs> but no, no, amen, brother. Like like my brother's preaching over here. Um, no, we do not wish to just in- be an echo chamber. Um, but to draw you into a conversation that is gracious and helpful and and we can only be where we're coming from, but we do care about you, dear audience, all three or four of you that are out there listening Thank right now. Thank you so much. And yes. Cynthia, we're so glad you're listening, Cynthia yes. Westfall. Cynthia Westfall and Carolyn Custis James, we love you. Um, so check out the show notes for reference to all of these things. And thank you again. And uh, we've got more to come. So keep listening.